Oh, and hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting on the 19th, uh, 20th, 21st, 22nd of May, uh, yes. whatever day it might be, uh, if you're listening on the podcast version or listening uh, on the weekend uh, over the radio. Welcome to Con- Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting across North America. I'm one half of your host, Yael Osaski. You can tell I'm happy about uh, the beautiful May weather. And I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, David Clement, who is in a new locale, looking good, a little bit of a tan, and uh, he's having a good time. How goes it, David? (laughs) It's good. Coming to you from Prince Edward County, um, Ontario's other winery and cidery region. Um, So, yeah, yeah, things are good. It's beautiful out here, minus the rain right now, but um, lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. I don't even know what direction Elon you're Musk. going in right now. There's a, there's a lot that we could do. I mean, there's Elon Musk. Jeff Bezos are, are on the tweeters um, start, starting to say things. Um, Jason Kenney has resigned. Um, so we will have a new premier of Alberta at some point uh, in the leadership race. For the United Conservative Party is about to heat up. I don't know where you want to go first. Do you want to go with the tweeters or do you want to go Alberta politics? Uh, wow. Uh, there's a lot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we were a bit heavy on the leadership stuff uh, last week, uh, so I would recommend that episode, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. Uh, I think the tweeters are good. Uh, very quickly, though, uh, there's been you know sort of a ramping up. We discussed a little bit with the baby formula situation uh, and you know the various measures that people are trying to pass. And um, you know, much like every large American issue, it's basically the same in Canada. <laughs> and uh, yeah. the one point that I saw by uh, a former a friend of the show uh, and a former former guest uh, that we had on uh, Sylvain Charlebois, he uh, he made the point that. Uh, Basically, the uh, the baby formula plant, uh, the big one that's over there in Kingston, uh, Ontario, has received millions in government funding, uses Ontario and Quebec's supply-managed milk supplies, and all products are currently shipped to China. And he yeah. says, awesome policy. <laughs> yeah, I mean... He's, so yet again, he's, uh, we are being, uh, we're, we're being confronted with the issues of the policy ish- uh, things that they're put in place to protect us. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because he raises the point of... Well, I thought the whole point of supply management was to meet domestic demand. Um, I mean, the dairy farmers have said for a long time that there is no export opportunity for dairy. And yet um, here we are supplying baby formula to China, which I don't think is is wrong in any sense, other than the sense that it completely undermines one of the core justifications for supply management. I mean, imagine a scenario where we didn't have supply management and Canadian baby formula could fill the void um, in the United States. That's obviously not possible, nor is it really legal Um, right now. um, Congresswoman Mace is going to be putting forward or has put forward some sort of bill to allow for the importation of baby formula from Europe. so we'll see if that goes anywhere. I mean, this is just a pretty clear example of government failure. So hopefully they can get out of the way. Um, yeah, I mean. And we'll add to it. I mean, this is yet another just 
at the FDA. Oh, God. And yeah. we've had plenty of, of segments where we've called out the FDA. Uh, Biden specifically did a little video. I'm sorry. Uh, the interns in the Biden office uh, recorded the president while he happened to be speaking. Um, <laughs> I think that's the way I'll do it. He, All right, I'm just going to keep talking. You guys go, what? A, well, what am I going to talk about? Yeah. Um, so he's talking about the FDA and essentially how uh, we're going to be sure we can import more of that infant formula, uh, either ramp up domestic supply. You know, he's uh, triggered all types of, of the uh, you know defense acts and this kind of things. Uh, but we see that the FDA is uh, once again the problem. They were the problem when it came to the tests early on in COVID. They were the problem in, in actually being pretty slow and waiting until the election uh, was was kind of settled before they really announced that they had those vaccines ready to go. I mean, it's just another circumstance uh, where these these government agencies have let us down, and um, pretty much the same with uh, inflation and also what's happening around, you know, tariffs, which have not gone away in the Biden era and are making all of the issues we have right now even worse. I think that's the one that still really tees me off because I'm having all kinds of issues ordering things from online and having it shipped to myself and having to pay customs and duties. And we yeah. could have stopped all of this. No, I know. But I love the, uh, there's a quote from Justin Amash, a former a member of Congress, uh, Libertarian Party. Uh, his response to this is, uh, we're beyond the point of absurdity with how presidents abuse emergency authorities. The Defense Production Act is indefensible even when used for defense. Here, it's being invoked for a purpose completely detached from defense to counter, quote, the government's own harmful regulations. Yes, sir. I mean, he raises a fair point. He, he does raise a fair point, but, um, yeah, I, just such a disaster. And seeing, seeing on Twitter some lefty commentators being like, see, capitalism has failed. <laughs> it's like, guys, <laughs> this is a heavy, heavy regulated market that um, by law keeps out imports and decreases competition. Let's, uh, not everything is a confirmation of your pre-existing biases here, folks. <laughs> wow, normally uh, these guys like you a lot, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so we did that um i do yeah go, go ahead and hit me with another one i do have another thing i want to uh yeah so we're gonna play a little game called who said this and we'll see if you get it right Love it. exclusionary land use and zoning policies constrain land use artificially inflate prices perpetuate historical patterns of segregation keep workers in lower productivity regions and limit economic growth easy so this is obviously somebody taking the yimby argument which i very much adhere to the yes in my backyard we need to build so who said it um i'm gonna have to say it was probably kamala harris it was not it was the official notice from the white house i would Give, I guess technically this. Do you? I guess it, you say it's Joe Biden. I don't know. I guess so. Um, technically, yeah. yeah so if, it comes the, from, if it emanates from there, yeah, it'd be him. Yeah. So Uncle Joe is uh, is going after local zoning and land use laws um, to try and help speed up building and uh, and bring down prices. And I mean, take some notes here, um, 
Justin Trudeau. This is this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and when you have a big inflation crisis, I actually heard this from a friend of mine today. Uh, it's the same in the UK. The media is just being very relentless and going after him and saying, you know, what's being done here and there, and uh, it's also a big issue. I guess this is one big advantage of the American uh, bureaucracy is sometimes there's some pretty good folks that can get up there. I mean, even during the Trump era, there were some good people that were, you know, in different bureaucracies that were, you know, trying to change things. They were trying to do some kind of reform, but it seems the right people aligned or somebody, somebody talked to an actual expert or I don't know what, but it made it in there. And uh, this is, uh, this is good. You know, will it, actually shake down and, and change policy, which again is a lot at the local level, either at the county or municipal level, I uh, would hope so, but it's a good start. Hmm. Yeah, it's a very good start. Very good start. Um, what else do we got here, Yael? Bezos um, giving a shout out to Joe Manchin for saving the Democrats from themselves, which I thought was um, pretty good. He He came out basically saying like, just think about if they had passed that $3 trillion bill um, that single-handedly Joe Manchin appeared to prevent from moving forward. He's like, Bezos tweeted that inflation would be much, much worse um, than it is now. Um, so we're seeing one of the richest men in the world now chime in on, on inflation and, and what's... Uh, what's caused it um, and what's driving it, which is interesting. Elon Musk has said something along the same lines, and now he's tweeting that he's voting Republican and uh, ESG ratings are a scam. <laughs> he's, so he is just diving right into the Thunderdome here. And speaking of that, we will be speaking with uh, one of the Consumer Choice Center adjunct fellows, Kimberly Josephson, Dr. Kimberly Josephson, uh, later in the program, all about ESG and uh, whether or not our company should be focusing on that. And uh, considering the Tesla news just broke, that'll be a very good question to ask her. Uh, he's definitely right on that. Uh, back to the mansion thing. His quote, if we remember, because it was the title of one of our radio shows, was, I'm comfortable doing nothing. Yes. So let's just take that approach. <laughs> let's just take that approach and, uh, yeah, probably give a, a hats off. I mean, we've been talking about inflation as an idea, and perhaps it was coming for at least a year. I mean, it has to be at this point. And the fact that now Biden is kind of panicking in a corner and all these political leaders are panicking in a corner, it's like, look, guys, I, I don't... Maybe they're looking at the polls and, uh, you know, there's the midterm elections... Canadian elections coming up, you know, there's going to be a lot of heat, and most of them don't know how to answer. And uh, I'm sorry, but saying you're going to crack down on wealthy companies, that oh ain't going God, to cut I it, because those prices, well, those those things are just going to be passed down to you and me. Well, and that's the funny thing is when when the whole thing that sparked Jeff Bezos's tweet was Biden tweeting that like, yeah, we got to get inflation under control, and we got to to do that, we got to tax the wealthy. And I think collectively everyone was like, did Joe just like forget the first part in relation to the second part? Because <laughs> they're entirely unrelated. And then his new press secretary was getting grilled, basically saying, sorry, how exactly is taxing the we the wealthy going to 
curb inflation? And she couldn't really answer the question and was like bumbling over her response and flipping through her notes. And it was just a really uncomfortable time where it's like, you can have a conversation about what the right tax policy is, but it's, that's not a conversation in regards to inflation. It's totally separate. Yeah, and that's uh, Karine Jean-Pierre. Um, so I would actually say that uh, for someone like her who was born in Martinique, she should do what I often do in Vienna um, whenever I'm in hard situations is just switch to my native language. Uh, so switch to French, uh, pretend I don't understand what's going on, and uh, kindly ask for the exit, which is exactly what she should have done. That was very, very uncomfortable and bad. And uh, uh, I don't think uh, this is the thing is usually right wing or Republicans or, you know, conservatives are generally better at talking about economics, uh, particularly when things happen, because a lot of it you have to explain why there is inflation, why people are paying more at the grocery store or when they fill up their tank. And if they're just saying it's well, it's Putinflation or it's because of Bezosflation. Yeah, you're just now it's a cartoon. And, you know, people can maybe raise their pitchforks against Bezos, I guess, but they want something that they can do to fix this stuff. And it's not going to be easy. They're going to have to raise rates. There's going to be all kinds of, you know, incredibly complicated procedures that they'll try to say at the Federal Reserve and uh, Bank of Canada. Or they could just stop printing yeah. money. How about that? Why? Well, I- I'm paraphrasing, but I think Bezos's comment on this was, it's not rocket science. We printed off a bunch of money that we didn't have, and now we have inflation. Like, it's pretty simple. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And uh, someone asked me this today. It's like, well, all that money that the U.S., I mean, $40 billion that we sent over to Ukraine, wh- where did that come from? Because, like, that wasn't in the budget. That was just kind of like, all right, we're just going to, Throw up forty billion, you know, more than the GDPs of entire countries. We're just gonna throw that out, and uh, you guys can hopefully yeah. get that in the mail and put it to good use. Wait, again, we can talk about the merits of it, uh, but you know, we are a big, uh, big inflation time now. Ah, so it goes. All right, Dave, we're going to uh, toss it to the break here, and we're gonna be right back on Consumer Choice Radio with Dr. Kimberly Josephson talking all things ESG, corporate social responsibility, woke washing. You don't want to miss. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America and the world. Uh, It's another pleasure to bring back a a good friend of the show who's been on multiple times. We're speaking with Dr. Kimberly Josephson. She's the Associate Professor of Business, Associate Dean of the Breen Center, Lebanon Valley College, an adjunct research fellow at the Consumer Choice Center, also a writing fellow over at the Heterodox Academy. Uh, Kimberly, it has been a good while. Thank you for coming back on the program. (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's it's great to be back. And you've been uh, very busy, by the way. So many articles. I can't wait to get into many of them. Uh, but apart from that, I know it's the end of the school year for you, and you've got a lot of grading you got to do, a lot of uh, a lot more bureaucracy tasks. So I, I assume you you're very very <laughs> excited for summer. 
Oh, definitely. And we have a lot of fun plans going on, but, but yeah, how you said about bureaucracy, it's grading ends and now assessment begins. Cause then you have to prove that you did a good job at, you know, at the course and everything. Um, it's also allergy season. So if you see me wiping my eyes, uh, tearing up a little bit, it's not that I'm that happy to see you, although I am, um, it's more just, it's that type time of year. So very good. I'll keep that in mind. Those tears are not for me. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and throw a clip at you. I normally do this to David, but uh, I'm going to throw one at you and you can tell me what you think. Elon Musk tweeted outrage after Tesla lost its spot on the widely followed S&P 500 index for ESG, which tracks the stocks of companies that it ranks highly for environment, social and governance standards. The removal is apparently because of issues including racial discrimination and crashes linked to its autopilot cars. Musk tweeted, quote, Exxon is rated top 10 best in world for environment, social and governance by S&P 500, while Tesla didn't make the list. ESG is a scam. It has been weaponized by phony social justice warriors. Tesla has become the world's most valuable automaker by expanding into battery storage for electric and solar power systems. A representative for S&P said the list Musk may have been referring to was, quote, not a ranking of best companies by ESG score, and that it was a blog post of the biggest companies by market cap on the index once Tesla was removed. Investors concerned about issues like diversity and climate change have poured billions in tons using ESG criteria to pick stocks. Musk and others have complained that S&P Dow Jones indices and its rivals conflate too many issues by bundling ESG concerns into one total score. Well, look at that. That's two things that you write about a lot, ESG and uh, American entrepreneurs. So what do you think of uh, Tesla getting that uh, <laughs> that boot uh, from these rankings? Yeah, well, and Elon has the right to be angry about it. I'd, I'd be pissed off um, because really, essentially... Uh, these ratings, depending on what framework is being used and on who is doing the assessment and on what is being targeted as being higher priority over other metrics, um, it varies greatly. Um, and when you think about too, uh, reputation matters. And the, you know, so, so I guess probably his biggest concern, because on the one hand, I would say to Elon, don't worry about it. It's fine. Just forget about it. On the other hand, I would say, um, you know, this is, uh, we have investors who are really being pressured um, to adhere to these new kind of, um, yeah, rating systems and invest in companies that are supporting uh, ESG ratings and these metrics. And so, so it's really, I, I, I'm not a fan of ESG in the sense of, okay, now I have to have someone assess my organization. I just said how, you know, we're in assessment season in higher ed, right? And it's actually taking time away from me from doing more productive work to go back and look at what did I do? And instead of really looking at, so, so kind of like the whole idea of, you know, skate to where the puck is going. I can't watch where things are moving and going if I'm always looking backward. Right. And then also if I'm feeling bad, maybe about what happened versus thinking about what's ahead. And so the same thing with ESG is that you are constantly looking back at what am I doing? And instead of thinking in regards to where I should be going, it's how do I fix this? And actually some of these metrics, um, sometimes become obsolete over time because things change or there's improvements. Um, but it's really uh, forcing companies to adhere to these standards that really should evolve and should be dynamic, but they're not because you need to have these measurements. And once again, my, my concern is not necessarily in companies wanting to be more environmentally friendly, wanting to be better in 
regards to human rights or or things like that. That's all that's all wonderful. Uh, my concern is these rating systems. I now have to pay a fee. I have to be assessed. I have to adhere to this framework. And essentially, it also creates entry barriers for new entrepreneurs who maybe don't have the capital or capacity um, to to know what they need to be doing or should be doing. And it sounds like there's just a, a lot of, of room for uh, people to be hired to do this stuff. So then you're having to hire more people to do more of this sort of internal surveillance. Uh, we can see where that goes awry. I wanted to point listeners and uh, viewers over to one of your recent articles. You're, you're doing a very good job of taking these incredibly complex ideas that are uh, being practiced in the halls of investing, you know, firms and corporations and relating it to pop culture. And uh, you have one here at uh, AIER.org. I will never get that uh, 100% correct. Uh, why ESG ratings are like Netflix's Inventing Anna. Uh, this is the, the show about the uh, supposed German heiress uh, who was kind of a fraudster. So what's your kind of main, uh, main argument there? And what does it expose uh, uh, some of the ESG rankings as uh, Inventing Anna? Yeah, well, and you know, so I, I watched the show and I got sucked into it and everything. And I, and it was just so uh, interesting to me to kind of integrate her path with the kind of developments that we see with um, ESG and how it came about and who's behind the scenes and how things are inflated. And so even how you had just mentioned, you know, hiring people who can help with these rating systems, ESG is fairly new, um, just like when Anna came about. Um, early 2000s. Um, so people are not even fully trained on these metrics and on these measures. And, and once again, ESG, it stands for environmental, social, and governance. Those are three really huge categories, right? So someone who maybe understands the environmental element isn't necessarily going to understand the um, corporate dealing C-suite matters for governance, right? Uh, or someone who is really into social justice isn't necessarily going to understand climate concerns to the same degree. Um, but companies are going to then hire someone to help them. And, and I see it. I see it in big firms that they now have positions available for people who are overseeing ESG. And to me, it's just kind of like, well, that just seems fake. It just seems like a pay-to-play program. Uh, no one is qualified to really take this on, especially just one individual, right? So, okay, we are going to have a an officer who helps us with our ESG. No one is no one is qualified for that, right? And then once again, even these metrics and um, frameworks that are put into place, um, there's a variety out there. So even how you play that clip for, um, uh, you know, Tesla uh, on another rating system, probably maybe has a higher score. Um, there's actually a, a podcast that I was on um, called The Soul of Enterprise. And one of the hosts talked about how he tried to see what his rating would be and looking at different frameworks, you know, on one scale, he did well, on another, he didn't. Uh, and it depends on even also, what are you willing to disclose, right? And even this is a tricky thing. So I wanna disclose enough that shows that I'm doing good things, but also I wanna show that I can grow. Um, I, I'll give you an example. Once again, in academia and the assessment world, um, we actually shouldn't be ranking ourselves too high because we want to show that we are growing as a professor in terms of our core, our coursework or how our students are doing over time. So same things with businesses. They don't want to um, hurt themselves later on that they do really well this year. And then next year, if they don't do well, they're going to get knocked off the list, right? So how can they show their, their progression over time? Um, so just like in that series, it, it seems to be like a lot of fluff and and also a lot of pressure on asset managers and investors to buy into this, despite 
limited proof that this is the right thing to do. Yeah, we did some uh, research when we were with our Consumer Choice Center colleagues, and it all kind of links back. There's one large company, the uh, MSCI. Uh, they have these various rankings. And we saw that the SEC now uh, will be requiring these sort of climate-related disclosures. Uh, you've got a lot of stuff that's coming from the EU and their ESG benchmarks and and this whole thing related to the Financial Stability Board and all these task forces. Uh, the way that we kind of saw some of the impact, at least as consumers, is that you have this entire area now where all the things that we like are going to be scrutinized. Uh, things like energy, yeah, they're going to figure out a way to make that more expensive, even in a time of inflation. Uh, anything related to chemicals that are pretty vital. Uh, anything related to vaping, done. Anything related to digital, something that I like a lot, Bitcoin mining, that's done. Uh, it seems right. as if it's just a, a multi-vector uh, sort of a, attack vehicle uh, that would be for basically everything. And especially in a time of inflation, seems like it was, it's only going to lead to prices going higher. Right, right. And actually something else to point out is most people are thinking like, okay, we need to have greater oversight of big business and what's going on with investments and all that sort of stuff. But who's who's checking on these rating systems, right? And if, if people are concerned, people always call out, you know, so even for, you know, the Tesla and Amazon, all that, right? We have these monopolies, we have these big, you know, dominant players, right? Uh, essentially, these rating systems are creating a monopoly in that they are the ones that are saying yes or no, you are good or bad, uh, and, and kind of shining the spotlight on organizations um, that, you know, and, and, and two, I always like to break it down to my students in that we want to think of business as in being made up of people, right? Almost everyone in your life has a job, works at a place, right, and is looking to uh, better their position, right? And as we um, accumulate wealth, we're able to um, buy better things, contribute to more things, give to charity, all that sort of stuff. Um, people in general want to do good. We shouldn't just automatically demonize these businesses because they are made up of people. And if we learn best practices and we learn ways to uh, engage in um, cost savings through efficiency, through environmental matters, right? We are going to do that. The companies will pivot towards that um, versus locking them in or uh, once again, really demonizing companies who sometimes don't even know. So another great example is when you talk about stakeholder capitalism and the stakeholder model is the idea that we have to think beyond our direct um, yeah, our core stakeholders, right? Whereas now we have to be more concerned, yes, with our suppliers and distributors and so on and so forth. But the network is complex, right? So how accountable am I in regards to my suppliers, right? Because they are their own company, they have their own autonomy. But if they are doing something wrong, that can actually impact my ESG scores, right? And so if there is some sort of connection to um, a supplier where I find out that there are human rights abuses, which once again, you know, we don't want that, that is problematic. But if I'm ignorant to that, we could say, okay, well then that, you know, you're being ignorant, you should know it. But also a company that especially has, that has a lot of connections, they can't keep track of everything, right? Um, I could be, uh, you know, going to my local grocery store and I don't know if the owner is a terrible person, right? And that type of thing, right? How much do information do I need to know? And then also how much am I responsible for that information? It sounds like it'd be the perfect time to have the Consumer Choice Center uh, ESG ranking. 
Dr. Kimberly Josephson would lead it and uh, would be ranking all <laughs> of the companies according to her own uh, criteria. Uh, I had one question. We've seen, um, you know, I believe it relates to the world of business and particularly to uh, sort of what you're teaching in, in academia, is we have seen a lot of what's how we view corporations, companies uh, kind of being brought up in the culture war, uh, specifically related to places like Florida. And, you know, there's a lot of things to to praise DeSantis for, at least from from our perspective. Uh, but when we sort of see, you know, using cultural politics uh, to attack companies, I mean, it must be such a, a it has to be in a terrible affair to be at one of these companies, you know, in a boardroom figuring out what are the cultural issues at play right now? How can we, you know, adjust ourselves? And I think it really does play into the idea that they're spending more time doing that than they otherwise would in making their products better for customers. And it doesn't necessarily make us feel, you know, better, maybe. I, I don't know what your thoughts are about how uh, sort of the culture war is, is changing the direction of some of these companies and if that's a, a good or bad thing. Yeah, I am not a fan of it. Um, because I think it is taking attention away from the uh, core operations of the firm. Um, and also there will always be competing initiatives. So, um, you know, if you decide, okay, we're going to give towards this campaign, maybe another crisis or another situation or something that needs greater assistance will arise, right? And, and companies are limited in terms of their resources and what they can do. And also in regards to, um, yeah, even personal opinions within the organization of, I think we should give to this. No, I don't support that. Um, something, uh, you know, often we see about, you know, complaints about their virtue sig signaling and kind of the, we even talked about in a previous uh, discussion about woke washing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that, but I'm also more concerned with the use of company funds and shareholder money. Um, when you hear about stakeholder capitalism and the idea of, yeah, you know, we, we need to think be beyond shareholder value, well, it doesn't, it, it, it's more basic in, in that the shareholders, that's their money, that's their property. So that would be like, you know, me maybe letting you borrow some money, right? You say, okay, you know, Kimberly, I need some money for this. I say, okay, you can borrow it, you know, just please pay me back at this time, or I'd expect some return on that, you know, so value for value type of thing. And then that's like you then coming to me and like, you know, I was going to pay you back and I was going to give you that interest, but I'd rather put it towards, you know, saving the whales or whatever it is, right? For me as a shareholder, it's uncomfortable to say, no, 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 don't put it towards that good cause. Um, but really you're taking my money and you're using it for what you see fit. Now, if all the shareholders are on board and wanna do it, you know, that's one thing. But I, I think it makes so much more sense. And I actually had a, a tweet about it saying, you know, I want to rebrand corporate social responsibility, CSR, to really be community related and supported, really bring it all the way back down, decentralize that. Um, Americans are very generous with their money when it comes to uh, charity and giving back to their community when they have the money. <laughs> so, you know, and right now we know with inflation and concerns about, you know, jobs and all that sort of stuff, uh, why not just decentralize that money, that pot of money and, you know, give it back to the shareholders, let them accumulate their wealth, give it back to the employees, let them accumulate their wealth. If there's something directly connected to where that company is operating in that local community. So this, this doesn't necessarily just mean, you know, small businesses, but even large companies like a Coca-Cola, if there is a factory in a certain community and there's a, an event happening or an issue happening there, yes, go right there, right? But we don't have to give to these 
big, huge, overarching social causes or campaigns where actually the money sometimes sometimes gets lost, right? Or it's not being used to where it should be used. Um, so this creates a better yeah, ability to track the money. And then also, once again, bring it back to your employees. They're, they're your most valuable asset, right? So give it back to them and then let them choose what they want to donate to. I actually love, you know, the smile, uh, that Amazon smile, right? So I get to choose what organization I want my money to go to. So do the same thing within your firm. So just give it back to those who are putting into it, or even to your customers, drop your prices. Like that would be wonderful, right? Instead of going to to these larger causes where you don't really know what, what's going on with your impact, or even if it might come back to haunt you later on and, and that you turn out there is some sort of mismanagement of the funds. I love that. Yeah, especially uh, we've seen with companies like Publix, I know that uh, they, they offer a lot of their employees uh, you know, stock in the company. And uh, yeah. for a lot of uh, Wall Street investors are like, oh my goodness, if we could just have those shares, that would be wonderful. We get to participate in Publix and get all in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in closing, I wanted to, to ask a, sort of a more general question, you know, also about uh, different things that you're writing on. Um, but, you know, you're there teaching the next generation of business leaders. I'm wondering, you know, what are the paths that many of, of your students are starting to take? Or perhaps you've been following some of their success. Uh, are there a lot of people who are starting small businesses? Are they taking their business acumen into larger companies? Do you see a, a sort of a large diversity of where people are using their talents uh, once they leave your program or or how is that going and does that make you hopeful about the future perhaps and uh, you know not a, a kind of a ESG uh, dominated world of the future yeah I I am hopeful actually I was in a, a workshop yesterday on campus um, and they were uh, telling us a little bit about this incoming generation and some interesting statistics and this incoming uh, cohort is really interested actually in getting out there and ensuring their own financial security so uh, they are not afraid to fast track their college degree um, you know I actually enjoyed my time in college, so <laughs> didn't want to fast track it. Uh, and, you know, so that's a little, it's to some extent, it's like, oh, enjoy your four years. You know, real life is going to hit you real hard. So, you know, take advantage of this time of transition. Um, but a lot of them are looking uh, to options of taking summer courses, winter term courses, getting out a year early. And I have first year students who are already asking about internship opportunities, right? And so that's really, you know, usually you don't, get that until they're about juniors or seniors. So, you know, they want to hit the ground running. So I think that's awesome. So I want them to be productive. I think that's wonderful. And I think also maybe a little shot of reality might be good for these younger generations too, because then they can see, you know, how difficult it is to manage business, right? So even working it at a local store, right? You can see the pressures and understand the dynamics. Um, some of the students from, uh, you know, couple years back, I was a little disheartened in the classroom because they really were thinking more in terms of, I want to serve at a nonprofit. I want to feel my social purpose. I want to feel a sense of you know fulfillment. I need to find my passion. And I always say like, you're, you're not going to find your passion because it's always changing, right? I try a new food and that's my new passion, right? I, I get exposed to something different and now I'm interested in that. Um, so your interests will change and therefore your passion should change. So you just need to accumulate experiences to figure out, okay, where do I want my career to go? Um, but I, I felt like they were really bogged down and really, you know, and, and that's a lot because of what they hear in the media, right? So it's always doomsday scenarios and climate concerns and things like that. Um, that's not as motivating. Um, so I'm hoping that this incoming generation is a little bit more practical in a sense of, okay, well, 
at the very least, what can I do to make myself most productive and happy and focus on that? And, and, and really, that is something that I, I focus on a lot in, the, in classes, really having that accountability for yourself and really focusing on you, right, as the individual um, and figure because because everything does have a ripple effect, a spillover effect in terms of what you do. Um, and so kind of focus on how you can be the greatest asset and perform at, at your best. And, and that'll only benefit everybody. All right. Well, I'm not worried about uh, academia anymore, uh, knowing that you're there and uh, <laughs> guiding the next generation. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for Dr. Kimberly Josephson here on Consumer Choice Radio. Read her articles. We'll link to them. Uh, we'll also have uh, uh, your Twitter uh, bio and everything that people can follow. So thanks again so much and uh, hope to have you again soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. A great interview there with uh, Dr. Kimberly Josephson. Some great insight as always. Uh, the ESG madness is something that we've we've covered a little bit on this program. You know, try to get into it, understand a bit more uh, what exactly is happening with some of these companies and the credit rating agencies. And yeah, I definitely love to do our own you know consumer choice center version. Uh, so if any of you guys are investors out there and you'd like to figure out. You know how we can work together on that? Let me know. Send us an email. Uh, hello at consumerchoiceradio.com. Uh, there'll be plenty more to cover. And uh, who knows? Maybe some good business opportunities uh, for those of you who are interested. Uh, why not? Boost. Uh, so there's a couple things I wanted to get into now. Uh, David is uh, gallivanting across different parts of the uh, Prince, is it Prince George County, Prince Edward County? Uh, he's somewhere in uh, Wineland over there in Ontario, so he's uh, going through some of the beautiful land and uh, enjoying a little bit of time there uh, with his uh, with his family and wife, and uh, we wish him all the best. Uh, kind of cool that you get to hear a little bit from him. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have a great interview. Uh, we're going to have uh, Matthew Mazinskis. He'll be talking to us from Riga, Latvia. We're going to talk a little bit about Ukraine and the Russia situation uh, from his perspective as an American who is living abroad, who's living in Latvia. Also, we're going to talk about economics, uh, understandings of economics, uh, things like cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Once again, uh, we're going to bring that up and make sure that we have a good perspective. Uh, he's putting, putting together some really interesting research on everything related to monetary base, how much money is actually being printed. Uh, he's been doing this actually a couple of years so to see that it actually is coming to fruition now with talks of inflation, uh, with all the different measures uh, that are being introduced at various levels of government and uh, what the governments are doing. Uh, because if we look at the numbers, and I'm, I'm looking at the Washington Post today, we see that the, uh, the recession is pretty likely, according to many of the experts who are looking at all of the different GDP figures. Uh, this is the same for Canada, same for the U.S., uh, we're probably going to have that across Western Europe as well. All of it is coming home to roost. The chickens of inflation and easy COVID money, uh, the time of, has, has come. And unfortunately, that's kind of what's going to happen with that. And, you know, you as a consumer, there are many things that you can do in order to try to safeguard whatever wealth you have. Uh, certainly when it comes to cutting costs, that's always a very important consideration for those of you who are out there and still having to buy things for your families. Uh, I'm wondering, do you guys use the membership uh, grocery stores? Uh, that, that's something that I don't really have in my corner, but I do know that something like a Costco or Sam's Club, 
Uh, these things are very popular. There are a lot of people who use them. You are able to get sometimes cheap prices. Uh, even if you go to the Whole Foods, which you know tends to have more pricier items, more select items, but if you are an Amazon Prime member, then you are able to get some discounts. Uh, and at this point, we need as many discounts as we can get because, uh, yeah, this is hurting a lot. It's, you know, 7%, 8% inflation for a lot of people, something our generation has never had to deal with ever. And yet it is being thrust upon us. And with talks of, uh, you know, lockdowns in China that are continuing with the supply chain being backed up with ships just waiting to pick up products or unload products. Uh, back and forth between China and North America. There's going to be a lot of stuff here that's going to keep us busy. Uh, hopefully you guys are, you know, keeping well with your family and, and doing everything that you can to improve your own position. Because, uh, yeah, right now there aren't too many options. And, you know, all the, the months where people were locked indoors and not able to do too much, uh, people were throwing it into the market. Uh, the stock market has not been good for many of you. Uh, but overall, you know, we, we have some of the tools at our disposal, which we do talk about here uh, each and every week. Uh, so obviously, you guys stay tuned. Keep listening to the program. If you're listening on your podcasting 2.0 apps, uh, please continue to do that. Uh, this is always very interesting and fun to see some of the messages and comments that we get there. So go over to fountain.fm or breeze, B-R-E-E-Z dot tech. Uh, you can download those two apps, which are podcasting 2.0 compliant. You can send your value. Uh, in the meantime, Consumer Choice Center is going to be ramping up a lot of stuff in the next couple of weeks. That is our consumer advocacy group. So doing a lot of things in Canada on housing that we've heard. Also in the United States on healthcare competition. Uh, there's going to be a lot of different things related to crypto mining bans, particularly in the state of New York and some of these other areas. We'll be very busy there. And still trying to push through some kind of smart cannabis legalization. We've got a bill that we've endorsed that we're very, very bullish on. That's the States Reform Act introduced by a friend of the show, Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina's 1st Congressional District. And that bill uh, hopefully will get some legs soon because they're talking about trying to legalize cannabis and they don't necessarily have all the votes at present. But if they were able to look at this, they could get some Republicans on board. They can get uh, different political coalitions on board. It would be looking good. And uh, hopefully they don't uh, ramp up the antitrust actions. We are seeing that as well in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Chuck Schumer apparently is saying that they want to get a bill done before summer. So that is uh, quite uh, frightening. And um, yeah, we don't know exactly their aim apart from, from trying to rip apart many of these tech firms or social media companies that you guys probably use to connect with friends and family and uh, perhaps, you know, also spread information, learn information so much more thank you guys for listening consumer choice radio we'll be back next week we'll have matthew mazinskis on for a great interview until then have a great weekend